is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 472, recorded Thursday, February 27th, 2020. Welcome, welcome to the show, everyone. It is delightful to have you here, and it's delightful to be recording again for the second time this week. Uh, We are here, of course, to do our listener feedback for the most recent episode of The Walking Dead, which was the mid-season premiere, so that was very exciting. And uh, we got some good feedback this week, so I'm looking forward to reading it. Awesome. Me too. It's almost a leap day. Oh my it, gosh. Uh, it's a leap year this year. Tomorrow's leap day, isn't it? No. No, tomorrow's the 28th. So what the day after? Saturday. <laughs> Saturday. Saturday is the leap day. So Saturday is not only a leap day and a weekend, but it's a whole like extra day that we get this year. That's exciting. What are you going to do on your leap day? Uh, hmm. Well, I'll probably hang a few pictures and... Uh, and organize the basement a little bit. That maybe. sounds like a pretty solid leap day. Yeah, I think so. I will drive my kids to swimming class, mm-hmm. then maybe go see my car dealer, and then go to someone's house for dinner. So there you go, nice. leap day. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Buying a new car. So uh, I got to go talk to the guy about that. That'll be fun. Cool, cool, cool. Not really. All right. Well, there's two things I want to talk about briefly before we get into the listener feedback. And first of all, it's the ratings for this episode. They were up a little bit from the mid-season finale, which was episode eight. That episode had 3.21 million viewers live. This episode, episode nine, had 3.52. Holy shit. That's a pretty big jump, actually. Well, I mean, it's like 300,000 people, but, you know, it's pretty good. Well, that's got to be what, twelve percent? I don't know. You can you can do that math if you want, but it it is up a little bit, so that's a good thing. Uh, it's not as high as the season ten premiere back episode one that had four million even. So, um, you know, by Walking Dead standards, it's low compared to where they've been historically. But four million was a pretty good start for the season, and they're uh, they're kind of riding just below that now at three point five two. So. Not cool. too bad. I, you know, if I got that kind of a raise in a week or, you know, a number of weeks, I'd call my mom and I'd say, hey, I got a pretty significant raise just now. That's true. If your salary went from 3.21 million to 3.52. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's a significant raise. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. All right. Well, th- that, that would be exciting news and I'd call your mom too and tell her. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> <Of> course. <nice. laughs> okay. One more thing I want to mention before we start is that. I, I heard from some people that AMC did something recently that I think is kind of shitty. Oh. And that is that on their streaming service, which is called AMC Premiere, they tacked an entire second TV show onto the stream of The Walking Dead mid-season premiere. And what I mean by that is I didn't watch it because we don't get Uh, AMC premiere up here in Canada. But what they did is you started playing the walking dead on the streaming service. And if you looked at the running time, it was like 90 minutes, an hour and a half, even a little bit more like 95 minutes. And so everyone was like, Oh sweet. A double like movie length episode. This is really exciting. But then what happens is they watch it and 45 minutes 
in The Walking Dead ends, and then some other new AMC show just starts on the same stream. So people that were um were watching it, or or whatever, yeah, they were they were upset and they got too much. They got too much episode. Um and this is just one of those things that I guess TV networks do to like pull you into their new shows or force it down your throat, even if you don't want to watch it. But it seemed like kind of a crappy thing to do. I hate that shit. Yeah. It's like putting ads before TV shows that you buy from a, a service, right? Like iTunes for yeah. example. No, it's, it's starting to drive me crazy on, uh, on prime that every time I start watching an episode of something, I get an ad for another television show on prime. Yeah. So they're advertising their other shit on, uh, on my feed and I have to keep saying skip. Like I do have a skip option, but it's still annoying. God damn it. Just stop. You know, I'm paying for a service. Stop advertising to me. I'm paying to not be advertised to. Yeah, it's annoying. But you know what? We may have talked about this before. You walk into a movie theater and sit down and there's 10 minutes of commercials before the movie starts. Yeah, not so much anymore. Because you don't go to movies anymore? Because I don't go to movies (laughs) very much anymore. And yes, it used to very much annoy me. And I actually had a rule at one point that whatever was advertised before a movie that I was seeing, I would not buy. Uh Uh-huh. Except then they started, you know, the, uh, uh, the milk growers of Ontario would, uh, advertise milk in general or yeah. milk based products. And I'm like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Yeah. Not buy milkshakes. I think that's crazy. <laughs> so I had to, I had to let it slide a little bit. It's true. When, when everything is being advertised to you, you can't stop buying everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, the company I worked for actually, uh, installed, a, uh, some software for Cineplex to help the sales team that was selling those ads. And, uh, I felt more morally horrible about that project. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> and, and I tried to get out of it as much as I could. I'm like, I have a moral objection to this. I'm, I can't help these people. Uh, but they said, yeah, we don't have anybody else to do it. So do it anyway. So you, you actually told your boss, you don't want to work on it? Yeah, I did. Okay. I said, uh, I, I don't, I, I really hate ads before uh, movies and I, uh, have a moral objection to, uh, to helping them. And I actually, actually, and they said, no, you can't do that. And then there was a point where the company I was working for was indirectly working, uh, for a, um, a military contractor. Oh. And I said, I can't do that. Okay. <laughs> and I said, okay. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. As long as your boss didn't come to you and say, are you morally opposed to not having a job? Because <laughs> he right. can't, he, he or she can't do that either. <laughs> no, I, uh, I did not get fired. No. Well, that's good. I, I don't think we actually got the, uh, the job where we're working for a, a contractor or a military contractor. We were only pitching to them. I said, I can't be involved in that. Got it. Okay. Well, that's good of you to stand yep. up for what you believe in is what I mean. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start our listener feedback. Uh, cause we got some good stuff here. Listener feedback. All right. Our first email comes from Jennifer in Minneapolis, and this is on a serious note. And it is, uh, she called me out for something I said on the last podcast. Jennifer writes, in the world of adoption, we don't call our adoptive sons adopted son. We call them our son or daughter. It would be wise to make this a habit when talking about this in regards to characters in the future. I thought it was important to share this correction with you so your remarks don't get misconstrued as offensive. Well, that was a very polite way of putting that. It it was, yes. And I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the email, Jennifer, because what I said last 
week about Carol, you know, or, or Alpha killing Henry, Carol's son. And I tried to clarify and say an adoptive son. And I guess that's yeah. really unnecessary. It really is. It's like when you, if you were talking about your kids and you, you would say, this is, this is my white daughter. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really unnecessary and kind of superfluous and, uh, and, uh, yeah, you just wouldn't do that. No, so, no. Definitely but, uh, Jennifer, do the way she phrased it saying that, uh, Hey, just be careful. This may be misconstrued as offensive instead, instead of saying, uh, you're being offensive asshole. Stop that. Right. Right. And, and I, I certainly didn't mean it in any sort of offensive way, of course, but I apologize if anyone took it like that. Um, it, it was just me being sort of thoughtless in the moment, but, uh, yeah, I'll keep it in mind from now on. And I appreciate yeah. being called out on stuff like that. I appreciate it too, because I didn't catch it. I didn't, uh, I, I, you know, I completely glossed over what you had said and didn't, uh, think about it. So I appreciate this as well so that I can think about it in the future as well. Yeah, good. And, and potentially call you out on it when you do it again. Yeah, let's, let's hope I, uh, can, you know, keep my thoughts straight and not do st stupid stuff like that in the future. But thank sure. you, Jennifer. Yes. Thank you. All right. Next, we have an email from Mindy on the internet. Uh, just wondering if anyone else had trouble following what was happening in what has to be literally the darkest episode to date on The Walking Dead. I know much of the episode was set in a cave and caves are dark, but I had a hard time keeping track of what was going on. I thought Jerry's uh, Jerry was bitten through his shoes and the dynamite in the box blew up. Did Carol set it off somehow? So Mindy is calling out something here that a lot of people did as well about how dark this episode was. And yes, to be fair, it was set in a cave. Caves are dark. Um, and, and I was feeling it too a little bit while watching it, but in the end, it didn't bother me that much for some reason, the actual darkness, um, but I don't know what can you do. It, it did bother a lot of people. So I don't know how you felt about it. Well, it depends on a lot of things, right? Like uh, The Walking Dead still f shot on film, right? Yeah, it, it always has been as far as I know. Yeah. So film has a much deeper color depth and has the ability to differentiate blacks a lot better than uh, video. Right. So if it's shot on film and then transferred to video, you have to be very careful because dark episodes can just be black mm -hmm. and you just can't see it. And it also depends on the, the device you're, uh, you're watching, watching it on. Like if I watched this on my TV, uh, in, in my living room, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell what was going on, but luckily I was watching it on a monitor that is actually really quite bright. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm. <laughs> I'm what, an arm's length away, less than an arm's length, length away from it. So, uh, I was able to see what was going on, but yeah, it depends on the device, depends on the age of the device. Uh, there's a lot of factors involved here. So, uh, yeah, the walking dead has to be very careful in what they do. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty dark too. And I watched it on a computer screen as well, which is like you said, arm's length away from me, but I was aware of it being really, really dark. I wonder if watching it on my TV would have been better because I have a relatively new TV. It's mm -hmm. only, not even six months old. Um, and it, I find it quite bright or a lot of adjustability in the brightness. So I, yeah. I actually might fire this up on the TV and give it a try and see how it looks, if it's better or worse, and then try to keep that in mind for the future. My TV's older than The Walking Dead. <laughs> I bought my TV in 2007. It's time for a new one, my friend. 
Well, we're talking about it because it also it suffers from burn-in on the screen, right? If anything freezes on the screen for more than like uh, three seconds, oh. you get to watch that image for the next half hour. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's wonderful. Uh, you yeah. know what? I shouldn't say that. I am not a proponent proponent of replacing things unnecessarily, right? I, if your TV's working fine for you and it's 25 years old, who cares? Just keep it going. Like, there's no I'm surprised n- it's still working. Well, you know, I've planned obsolescence on televisions in the last 20 years. Oh. Uh, it's it's pretty nuts. So I'm uh, I'm a little surprised it still works. Yeah, not just TVs with that sort of planned obsolescence, but you're right. TVs tend not to last that long. The TV I replaced was about 10 years old, maybe 11. Um, and I was surprised that one lasted that long, to be honest with you. So- I've had um, six iPhones in that time frame. Yeah, I've had at <laughs> least four, I think. And uh, and I try to keep phones for a long time as well. Uh, you know, I mentioned buying a car earlier. The car I'm replacing is 16 years old. So Oh, that I lo- that's a good age for a car because your car is now old enough to drive. <laughs> it can get its own license. <laughs> well, that's great. If only it could drive itself to the next owner or the junk yeah. heap, wherever it ends our, up. Our old car was, uh, was, uh, turned 18. It was like, yeah. <laughs> it can drink in Quebec. Al- almost, almost old enough to drink. <laughs> yeah. Almost in Ontario. Shouldn't though. It shouldn't drink and drive. No, definitely not. Definitely not. All right. Next year, we've got Tom who wrote on our Facebook page and Tom writes, Creepiest episode ever. I am claustrophobic and I was pacing the floor, freaking out while they were traveling through the tunnels. I will probably have nightmares. I think I'll sleep outside tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I guess, well, if he's, depends on where Tom lives, that might be a good idea. It might be. Like if you're, like, does sleeping outside under the stars relieve claustrophobia? I guess it might because you're not, I mean... Are you claustrophobic in your own bed? I don't know. Well, it just, it, it all depends, right? I guess so. Yeah. If you just need some relief, maybe uh, having a nap on a, on your deck might be a good idea. Yeah. Actually, I've fallen asleep on my deck in the past. <laughs> not, <laughs> not like lying, you know, on the wood on the ground of the deck, but like I can yeah, sit re- there in re- a chair reclining and, and if it's a nice warm summer day, you know, and I'm in, and I'm in the shade. I could fall asleep out there. It'd be nice. Yeah. Well, just make sure when you pass out on your deck that you're in the recovery position. Why? Well, so that you don't choke on your own vomit. That's what I mean by pass out. Yeah. I assume that you were so drunk that you couldn't stay awake. No, that doesn't happen (laughs) to me anymore, Jason. No. Okay, good. Hasn't in a long time. But you know what? A lot of people commented on the Facebook page as well that the cave caused them a great deal of anxiety. So... It, what that tells me is the show actually did a pretty good job um, portraying the tightness and the closeness of the whole place and the claustrophobic <laughs> nature of it, right? Right. Well, I, I assume so. I, I'm claustrophobic and it didn't bother me, but I think mainly because I was angry at how fake it looked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or maybe how dark it was. <laughs> or maybe how dark it was. Tom, mm. if you're claustrophobic, I, I kind of want to recommend a book and I kind of want to recommend you don't read the book all at the same time. It's uh, the Stephen King novella, uh, The Running Man. Ignore the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that has nothing to do with the book other than sharing a title. Uh, re, uh, the Running Man is uh, actually quite a good uh, novel or short novel, uh, but it has a section in it that uh, when I was reading it the first time back in high school, uh, I was lying in bed while I was reading it and I had to stand up and go downstairs and take a break because it was it was too much for me. Nice. I think I've read The Running Man like 25 years ago when I was... Much younger. Really? But I'm not sure anymore. 
Yeah, the guy in the Running Man TV or Running Man movie, they go down and fight in an arena. Mm-hmm. The Running Man uh, novel, uh, they let the guy out the front door and say, "Okay, if you can last thirty days without us tracking you down, you're good. You're golden." Uh, so, pretty different. It's, it's very, very different because it's not just you know surviving the arena; it's having everybody uh, on the planet uh, calling in and saying that they saw you because if they you know get a sighting of you and that causes you to get caught, they get a prize. Mm. So you got the whole friggin' country after you, uh, for prize money. So you better keep running. You better keep running. Yeah. You don't got any money and you can't go home cause the hunters will know you go there. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's quite the experience. Really, really good novella. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I read it. Anyways, I'll have to read it again. There's so many things I've forgotten over the years that, uh, it's distressing a little bit. Right. All right. Next, we have an email from John in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, about John Wright's worst episode ever. Okay, maybe not, but I'm hard-pressed to think of a worse one right now. The first question that springs to mind is, why the hell does Alpha even feel the need to squirrel her horde away, especially in some place as hard to access as the cave slash mine slash whatever that fake-looking paper mache set was supposed to be? Uh, the cave is covered all in, sorry, the cave set covered all the cliches. Near bottomless cavern? Check. Claustrophobic captive? Check. Uh, box of discarded dynamite? Check. Collapsed tunnel roof? Check. Endless supply of matches? Double check. The episode tops off this bland, cliche-ridden storytelling with a big, not terribly suspenseful, are they dead or are they not, cliffhanger. Guaranteed to lead to the long-awaited Connie slash Daryl romance, unless Connie is leaving the show for Marvel's Eternals, that is, then it will lead to Daryl's grieving lost love that could have been. I think I've talked myself into it. This was indeed the single worst episode of The Walking Dead ever. Hell, even the acting of usually good performers like Daryl and Carol felt flatter, less resonant than usual. Only Jerry breathed any life into this role, into his role. I mean, if anyone's going to do it, it's it's Jerry. Uh, but that's pretty harsh, man. Worst episode of the show in 10 years. I don't know if I'd go that far. But I don't have an answer to one right now that I would say was worse than this one. I can think of moments that were worse. Oh, for sure. Like the, the, the car flipping off the... Uh, off the bridge, yep. uh, the governor, the people behind the governor falling with doves flying. Were, were there doves? There, there couldn't have been doves. I don't think there were doves. I, I think I'm, I'm making up the doves, right? I think you might be, yeah. <laughs> okay. But you're right. I can think of moments that I thought were were, were worse, but um, not, a, not a full episode. But that being said, I mean, you know, this... This is how John feels. And, and I don't begrudge him that because there was some stuff in this one that was a little less than ideal. And when he lists off all those cliches, it's like, yeah, they all were there, you know, bottomless pit, box of dynamite, mysterious, collapsing roof, endless supply of matches. When also, I think everybody has like a flashlight on their belt. So no flashlights. Don't you? I mean, I do all the time. Everywhere I go, I have a flashlight. Do you? My phone. <laughs> oh, I see. But, no, I have an actual flashlight that I carry around. Well, that's, you're like a Boy Scout. You're very prepared. But like these people, I'm pretty sure they do have flashlights, most of them, at least a few anyways, amongst them all. Uh, yet they're 
burning up matches everywhere they go. So well, they're, they're not looking for light though. They have lanterns and all kinds of like where'd they get the lanterns? I don't know, but they had lanterns scattered all over the place. Yeah, they had uh, they had flashlights and such. Uh, and, but they had matches, and the matches were specifically to look for breezes. No, you're right. That's right? true. They were doing something smart with the matches, but the fact that they had them at all. I mean, I guess Daryl might have had them because he smokes, right? Yeah, he smokes. But you can also, if you want to feel a breeze, you lick your finger and hold it up. Yeah, isn't that the thing to do? That's true too. Actually, you can feel the you can feel the the wind cool down the saliva on your hand, right? Yeah. So, and the matches that they were holding up. I mean, I didn't call them out for this, but thinking back, uh, those breezes were pretty goddamn breezy for inside <laughs> of a cave. Yeah. Right? So how could you not feel that without the match? I, you'd think you would. you think you would. So I don't know. Pretty cliche, a lot of the stuff here. Uh, I do. I am looking forward to, though, um, the reunion between Connie and Daryl, assuming that's coming. I think that's going to be a really nice moment. Uh, and I'm choosing to believe it won't be cheesy and forced at all. But we will and have Connie, to see. Is Connie, uh, is she cast in the Eternals? Yeah, so she is cast in Marvel's Eternals, um, which does make me a little nervous that she's going to be leaving the show. I don't know. I like Connie a lot and I want her to stick around on The Walking Dead. Well, Michonne's still, Denai Guerrero is still around for a couple of episodes. Yeah, we're right? going to get the rest of her, of Michonne's storyline this season and that's it for her. She's moving on. But I mean, she's a huge movie star now, right? And she wow, has a I lot of other- huge. Oh, she's pretty big with the, she, yeah. with the Avengers movies, but- yeah. Okay. I mean, she's not, um, well, know, I don't know about movie star. She's a, you know, a strong character actor that, uh, can do a lot of good, but I don't think that, you know, if she was starring in a movie, uh, would that draw, uh, a significant audience? Well, I mean, she's not, um. Cause that's what a star is. A movie star is the draw, you know, George Clooney in a movie. You're like, oh, it's George Clooney. I'm going to go see that. Right. Right. Okay. I mean, I guess she's not at that level, but I think she might be on her way there. Yeah. You know, Stephen Tobolowsky, Tobolowsky, <laughs> is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Uh, you know, if he's the star of a movie, you'd be like, what the hell's that? <laughs> I, I know. Maybe see I'll wait. With Stephen Tobolowsky. He's great. <laughs> well, yeah, but as a character actor, not <laughs> as the main star, yeah. right? Fair. There's so I wouldn't call him a movie star, even though everybody knows who he is. You know, if you don't recognize the name, he's the guy in uh, Groundhog Day that goes, bing. That's right. But yeah. he's been in plenty of stuff. He's Everything. Been around he's, for yeah, a long time. If there's, if there's a movie, he's in it. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And TV shows too. Yeah, exactly. A anyways. Um, so yeah, I mean, this episode has these problems, John, um, but, uh, but I, I didn't mind Daryl so much in this one. Yes, Carol got to me a little bit, but like I said a couple nights ago, when she started talking about the reasons she is so out for revenge against Alpha, that kind of worked on me a little bit. So I softened to her, uh, to Carol's like recent, you know, troubles a little bit. So, yeah, you know, that's that. Uh, let's move on. Jason in Kenosha, Wisconsin writes... I agree with you both that since the time jump, The Walking Dead has been the best it has been in years. But with that said, this episode has to be one of the dumbest I've seen. From the first few minutes, Daryl points out that they can jump from rock to rock. 
I said aloud to my girlfriend, are you, are they seriously going to Mario this shit? And then they did. Jerry is struggling to hold up the entire wall to let others escape. So Magna, a proven badass warrior and leader, decides this is a good time to run back and kill more Whisperers? That was ridiculously dumb. If she escaped and Jerry just let the roof cave in, wouldn't that have been more effective? What do you think? Instead of yeah. running in to kill them, why not just get out and then let the roof collapse and trap them in there anyways, or kill them? Yeah, that works. That actually works as a, you know, a more of a, a solid plan than what happened. Well, I think so. I think it's a good point by Jason. Now, you could argue that, I don't know, in the moment, people aren't quite thinking straight or something, so Magna should have escaped, but she made the wrong decision. But I really kind of feel like, given those two choices, most normal people would be like, you know what? I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm escaping. Yeah, I'm in the middle of a, uh, a, you know, a mine, an, an old mine shaft that is collapsing, and uh, my good friend is holding up the beam that is allowing us all to escape. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I would think, geez, I better go back and I, yeah. do some more uh, work. Given these circumstances, it's time to get the F out of here. But You know, if it was a diamond mine and I could go back and like, you know, chip out one more diamond uh, so that I could, uh, you know, bring it out. I might let you hold up the beam for another 10, 15 seconds. <laughs> Just to get a diamond. Well, that, yeah, but that's because of my high level of trust in your abilities to hold up beams in collapsing mine shafts. Well- Like if, if anybody, if I would trust anybody to do that in real life, you know, this was just television, but if I would trust anybody to do that in real life, it would be, uh, it would be you and my friend Dean. I mean- uh, So if you and Dean were working together, I'd, I'd totally go back and start mining again. You know what, man? The amount of times I've had to do that, I can understand why you've, you'd trust me to keep that, that beam up. Yeah, it's, it's experience. It is. You know, experience plays a factor. Mm -hmm. For sure. 100%. All right, next we have Daniel on the internet. I think the arrow road sign Jerry found is from a long time ago, not the Whisperers, especially since it led them to a collapsed exit. So we were assuming that the Whisperers made that arrow on the wall. And if so, why not encode it somehow, like point it the wrong direction, but they know that it, they're supposed to go the other way. Um, but does it not make more sense that maybe the original miners had arrows on there pointing this way or that way in case you got turned around and you needed to find your way out? That's true. And, uh, I guess mainly because, and I hadn't considered this until now. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, the whispers don't have tools other than knives. Well, not right? really, but I think they could. Oh, they had that, uh, that, that wood carving tool that the, uh. That Negan was using. Right, the bark, the, the bark stripper. The bark stripper. stripper, I don't know. But if they're just living like animals in the woods, why the fuck would they have chisels and such? Well- They didn't carve it with their knives. I, maybe well, not, but I would argue why not have chisels? Like they might have some tools, especially if they're trying to find their way through an underground mine. If I was wandering through the woods uh, trying to uh, lead and and be a part of a zombie- herd or a horde or what have you. And I was traveling from place to place as a nomad, uh, in the woods. I wouldn't bring a chisel. I, I might bring a rasp. I might bring one of those, uh, uh, bark carvy things, but I definitely wouldn't bring a, you know, a, a chisel. I don't know. I suppose, hammer. I suppose there are other tools or other things that would be more valuable if you only can carry 
a certain amount of stuff, right? Chisels probably yeah. not one of them, unless it's a weapon. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, you know, a pack of chisels would take up valuable valuable shotgun space on my back. <laughs> right. You don't want to take up your <laughs> shotgun space. Yeah, that's you know, it's uh, it's reserved. Definitely. So, anyways, I think it's a good call that these this arrow was there before and it did indeed point to the way out but then they got to a collapsed or you know boarded up exit so things had changed at some point okay well let's just say that it was carved by uh, the dwarves that live there sure or the aliens well the aliens don't live underground they live in space yeah why okay. would they have chisels right i'm thinking dwarves dwarves if anybody has a chisel it's a dwarf <laughs> all right fair enough they didn't encounter any of these dwarfs but you never know what might yeah. happen in the future well, yeah, they're obviously in the entrance to the Underdark. Of course. Well, Jim in Virginia writes to us and says, Virginia is actually riddled with some of the oldest coal mines in North America. And there are a lot of caves that are like that with narrow tubes. I've done a fair amount of spelunking in Virginia, but it's not near DC. The caves look pretty authentic too, just would have more mud. The walls are smooth like that from all the water movement over the millennia. Hmm. So I think it's just an interesting fact about uh, caves in Virginia and what they would actually look like. So despite everyone saying, oh my God, this cave looks so fake and paper mache and this and that, uh, Jim is contradicting that a little bit. All right. I'm Googling Virginia caves. I'm going to be in West Virginia in about a week and a half. And I don't think I'll be going in any caves, but you never know. I'll, I'll be driving through the state. So if I see a cave, Maybe I'll go take a look. Holy moly, these are beautiful. <laughs> Jeez. Maybe I will go see them then. There's got to be- You should go see them. These are amazing. All right. I mean, they're not quite as flat bottomed as uh, other than the ones that are paved. <laughs> no. It looks like some of the caves, you know, have walking paths. Okay. But, uh, okay. All right. So caves, caves are there. Uh, there was water running, but everything was dry, but the walls are smooth because of all the water running through them. Uh, all right. So I, uh, I'm, I'm now officially giving the caves a little more slack. Okay. A, a, a sort of a thumbs sideways, not quite a thumbs up. Well, or no, it's definitely not a thumbs up, but, uh, yeah, it's a, okay. It's not quite as horrible as I originally thought. And I wish I would have known this before watching the episode mm. because I wouldn't have been so angry during my viewing of it. Got it. Walking Dead needs to put up a title card at the beginning that says, before you watch this episode, do some research on caves in Virginia. Yes, okay. exactly. All right. Yeah. Keep yeah, that what mind, we need Walking is Dead. Descriptive title cards in our television shows <laughs> on the research we should do before watching the episode. Right. That's exactly what we need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be awesome. All right. Next, we have a call from Trisha in Massachusetts. And the Oscar goes to The Cave for its portrayal of claustrophobia. I could not handle them crawling out of those narrow spaces. I really thought big guy Jerry was a goner. I could have sworn that they got him right through the boot. But my biggest issue with the episode was not even Negan and Alpha playing skin to win. See what I did there? But Carol, what the hell? I have a very hard time believing that she would lose her cool. Even Melissa McBride seemed like she couldn't convince herself that Carol would become so selfish and reckless. I mean, seriously, she saved the group single-handedly from the governor, and this is the woman who threatens people with cookies and lasagna. Lastly, what were Connie and Magna doing going back into the cave? 
And Magna strutting back in like she's a runway model on Fashion Week? Not my favorite episode, guys. No, uh, it doesn't sound like it, Trisha. But uh, I, I think we have to defend Carol a little bit here. She has made some poor decisions lately. But inside the cave, I don't think you can really hold that against her necessarily because she is stricken by the phobia of claustrophobia and therefore unable to to think straight and reason properly. Now, I don't want to try to sound like I know what it's like to have that or what it's like to have any sort of phobia, but obviously it affects her her ability to function, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think you have to give her a little bit of slack while in the cave. The fact that she ran in there to begin with in the last episode, um, I still think that's dumb, but once she's in there, she's going to be under a lot of extra stress and duress that's going to affect her ability to operate. Right? Yeah, we'll never underestimate the motivation or, you know, the the actions of a properly motivated individual. You know, if she's really motivated to kill Alpha, she's going to run into a cave even though she has uh, claustrophobia. Yeah. No, that's, that's, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm okay with that. Um, well, I mean... I guess she is super motivated. I don't really agree with all of her decisions leading up to that point necessarily, the recent decisions. Right. Um, but you're right. She her, her judgment is clouded by her rage. And then once she gets into the cave, her judgment is clouded by her claustrophobia. She has clouded judgment. She does, very much so. Um, now we're going to continue on talking about Carol here with our next email from Justin in Bristol, UK. Justin writes... Regarding Carol's claustrophobia, during the mid-season break, I decided to rewatch season one, and it's there that we get our first reference to Carol's claustrophobia. During the final episode, when the group are entering the CDC, Carol asks Dr. Jenner, are we underground? And he replies, why, are you claustrophobic? And Carol's answer is, a little. Well, son of a bitch. So it's not new. It was in the show. You just have to think all the way back to the sixth episode of season one. Yeah. So that was... You just have to properly uh, and completely recall all of the dialogue in all of the episodes of uh, this show that's been running for 10 years. No problem. I don't know why anyone couldn't do that. But, you know, we're being a little silly here, but at least it was in the show and good on the writers for keeping it uh keeping it real here and making they sure got they got lucky don't give me that shit no way the writers don't get lucky they they knew what they were doing and they're like let's go back find something that hasn't come up before or hasn't come up in a long time and just make sure we reinforce that it's still a thing so we have consistent characters do you think they have character sheets on everybody yes like this is uh, really that they have like a binder with a bunch of character sheets and they read through it and they have the, the different traits of that have come up over the years. Carol is uh, a little claustrophobic and they're like, shit, we're getting a fucking cave in this show. Yeah. I, th I think they do have that. In fact, I'm 99% sure they do because how could they not? I mean, they need to keep this, these characters straight. They have different writers working on it. Some that are new, some that are old. Uh, and they have to have those things all written down. They have, I think they have people dedicated to keeping track of this stuff. Why don't they publish these things? I'm sure that, you know, The Walking Dead is not the only show to have these character sheets and uh, Bibles of the show for, you know, recording all the continuity facts. They should, they, people must have published shit like this before. 
Actually, that would be cool to see. I mean, maybe when the show's all said and done, they could do a book, like a production book or something about The Walking Dead and publish that kind of stuff. I'd be interested in reading it. Yeah, me too. I mean, fun. I've read uh, scripts over the years and uh, those are always fun. Like you get uh, you get the actual production script, which is different than the release dialogue because there's always changes. Yeah, and of course, and you can see the evolution of an episode from you know, initial concept through the writing process to actually what was released. So I, that would be really interesting. People do that. I read a, uh, a script of, uh, Brazil. You remember Brazil, Terry Gilliam? I do. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was really good. He had, at the time, his company, uh, that, that worked on the, on the show, his production company was called, uh, Poo Poo Productions. <laughs> and, uh, the whole, <laughs> and the logo was, uh, this naked cherub climbing a ladder with an arrow Stuck up his bum. Of course. And uh, he just Terry really, Gilliam, everybody. Terry, Terry Gilliam really liked the idea of high-powered uh, muckety-mucks in the studios sitting around a board table saying poo-poo all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, man? Uh, I have a feeling that may come up again later in this podcast. Okay. Well, it's just, uh, that shit makes me giggle every time I think of Brazil and Terry Gilliam. It's very funny. Yeah. All right. Next, we have an email from Chris in the UK. Early on in the show's run, Carol was a liability in the sense that she couldn't really do anything. I think, for example, about how ineffectual she was in the season two finale, entirely reliant on Daryl saving her, and we all know what happened next. Now we sort of go full circle and she's a liability once more, but in a different way. She's a loose cannon, a maverick, but does she get results? No. Well, not the results we want anyway. If I was feeling mean, I'd say it's ironic that she finally loses her shit at the loss of Henry, who was annoying and not popular with audiences, rather than Lizzie and Micah, who were much more interesting, or Sophia, who we liked, but I suppose it's the cumulative effect. It's also nicely consistent with the characterization we've seen before. Her capacity for this, this, her capacity for this sort of behavior is precisely why Rick exiled her from the prison all those years ago. Yeah, you know, that's all interesting stuff. Speaking of characters being consistent, right? You yep. go back and you look through Carol's history and she she was pretty ineffective at the beginning and meek and, you know, under the thumb of uh, her husband. Then she loses her daughter. Then she has to kill uh, Lizzie for looking at the flowers, right? And then she loses Henry and now here we are. At the same time, she's done some things over the years that have been pretty incredible and saved a lot of people. So Carol yeah. is an extremely complex character. Uh, extremely complex, yeah. So, you know, and probably one of the best characters on the show. So I don't know. I just appreciate how, you know, we've got different opinions here on how Carol's acting now versus how she has been throughout the whole run of the show. and how it all kind of ultimately comes together into a fascinating character. So again, good on the, the walking dead for, for giving us that over all these years. Yeah. And it makes me think that in my life, uh, I try and be relatively consistent and stable. Uh, and I think I'm relatively consistent and stable, but, uh, this makes me think that I could probably get away with being more erratic and still be liked by generally, you know, workmates and family and such. Well, I mean, so, there's only one way to find out. Yeah. Do some random shit. That's right. See what happens. 
And you know, uh, make everybody in my family and my coworkers a little bit concerned, but still want me to pull through and, and give me all the chances in the world. And sometimes I will pull through. Right. Other times I might just disappear for a couple of days. Yeah. Well, who knows? Who really knows? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but it'll make you a more complex and fascinating character, Jason. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what you want. All right. Here's a call from Eric. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Eric from Virginia. Just want to leave some quick feedback for The Walking Dead Season 10, Episode 9, Squeeze. My first thought when watching the episode was that a cave full of zombies has got to smell terrible. I don't know if everyone has gone nose blind to the scent of walkers after nine years in the zombie apocalypse, but I've got to imagine that being stuff down there with like tens of thousands of zombies has to smell terrible. And when Daryl lit up the zombie arm torch, I thought that was kind of cool, but I also thought that's just got to smell absolutely awful burning zombie flesh. Uh, I've made a torch before by wrapping a t-shirt around a two by four, soaking in gasoline, lighting on fire and can confirm that that, only lasts a few minutes before the gasoline burns off and then whatever material you've got wrapped around a stick starts to burn up too. So no torch down there would would last too long. I also wanted to say I was genuinely scared for Jerry uh, when he was stuck crawling through that hole and when he was trying to hold up that beam. I uh, really thought they might take him out this episode was really glad to see he made it through to the end and also want to say thanks guys for all of the off-season content uh loved the coverage of the thing one of my favorite horror movies uh thanks for the show guys uh looking forward to it hearing everybody else's feedback amazing thank you eric so stinky zombies it would you'd think it would stink quite a bit down there but no one ever said it as human beings, can we go nose blind to rot, rotting flesh? Well, you can go nose blind to a lot of things and very quickly too, right? Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's, you know, I just wondering, there's some things we can't go nose blind to because our brain is just like, I can't, I can't deal with this. Uh, but other things would be like, you know, I can, I can build a filter for that. But I just, I don't know. I wonder if uh, the, the smell of rotting or burning flesh is something that uh, we can learn to not bother us after a while. I don't know. I, I bet you, your brain is pretty adaptable. I bet you that you could go nose blind to almost any odor if you're around it long enough. Yeah. Right? Okay. I, I think there are some things that your brain interprets as dangerous, right? And therefore you might not, it might not adapt to ignore it as quickly. But even those things, probably once you kind of subconsciously realize that maybe it's not dangerous, I'm not saying that zombies aren't dangerous, but something else that maybe really stinks really badly, but after a while it becomes not dangerous, then you go nose blind to it because it's not a threat to you. Right. Okay. I'm just curious. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a neurologist, so I don't know how your brain works mostly. Well, you know, and I also don't have a lot of occasion to smell blah, blah, you know, burning or rotting flesh. Yeah. Well, what you should do is go buy yourself an entire cow, 
Uh, well, that's fr- a lot of flesh. From the butcher. Don't go light a live cow on fire. Can um, I just go get a ham from the grocery store? And just light it up in your backyard and see what no, happens? No, just leave it out. You know, like get the ham, unpack it, <laughs> leave it in my office. And, oh, f- you know, okay. six months later. See if you still if smell it's it. still bugging me. <laughs> I'll throw it away. Okay. That's a great <laughs> idea. That is a great idea. Okay. <laughs> All right. Eric also mentioned that, uh, you know, torches don't last that long if you're, you know, makeshift torches don't last that long. And it makes me curious what the heck he was doing where he thought, uh, you know, the, the thought process is, uh, I have an extra t-shirt or, you know, the t-shirt I'm wearing. Uh-huh. I have a two by four and I have some gasoline. Uh-huh. Let's make a torch. I mean, maybe he needed a torch or maybe he was just a teenager at a camp somewhere and was like, I know what would be fun, guys. Let's light my shirt on fire and see what happens. Well, you know, we've all done that. I mean, that makes that makes Eric <laughs> sound like a complete dumbass. And I didn't well, mean to imply that. But, you know, I'm just I'm curious about the circumstances. Was he in a group of people that were, uh, you know, really upset and trying to hunt down a monster that was living in the village? Or was I he lost know. in a cave somewhere and needed some light to find his way out? Yeah, like uh, I'm. I'm thinking, uh, you know, Rambo, First Blood. Right. You know, he was in the cave. He uh, he did that. Uh, you know, made a torch. It's been a long time since I've re- seen Rambo, and I can't believe I remember that. <laughs> Sorry, not Rambo, First Blood. Rambo was not in the title. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, people make that mistake all the time. Uh, they do. I I I would like to think that I'm not one of them. Okay, I was just trying to say I don't hold it against you, but anyways, <laughs> the internet will. Yeah, oh, that's true. That's very very true. <laughs> but thank you for that uh, real world experience there, Eric, to confirm Jason's, um, you know, uh, point that a homemade torch or makeshift torch wouldn't work so well. No, not so well. Okay. All right. Next, we have an email from Joe on the internet. One of your comments about the walkers being quiet until the armed torch was dropped in the middle of them sparked me uh, to want to say that in the past, walkers seem to go to go into sleep mode until they hear a noise. Maybe that was the case with this. Uh, light and noise woke them up, and that's why you didn't hear them before. I don't really buy that in this case. You know, it's a huge pit full of hundreds, potentially, of walkers. And they're all just standing there silently. I don't think so. Well, and, and where do we see that? Where we saw there's a was it 28 days later where they do that, or was it some other? There's so much content out there for zombies and undead stuff. So I know this has got to be somewhere. Well, you might be right about 28 days later. I'm not gonna say I'm 100 percent sure on that, but yeah, there is something where at the absence of stimuli they just sort of stop right they just kind of world war z was it world war z world war z the last third of that movie that they had to do at the last minute because they couldn't go to russia oh yeah uh (laughs) they uh wandered around inside that building for a while trying not to disturb the zombies that were in some kind of sleep mode right okay well here's the thing about the walking dead though if you go way back to the beginning and especially into the comics and jason back me up here they had uh, roamers and lurkers, right? That was always a thing. And the idea was there were actually sort of different kinds of zombies, some that just constantly roamed around and never stopped moving and would be drawn to noise or or, um, light or something like that. And then there were lurkers, which wouldn't move around, and they just sort of sit in one spot until they saw something they wanted, and then they would go after it. Uh, Yeah. 
right? They, would, they, they never really did that in the, in the TV show, but yes, they, that existed in the comics. Yeah, okay, they never really did it in the show, you're right. So, but, it, but with that in mind, if this was a pit full of lurkers, it would mean they would just stand there doing nothing until stimulated, and then they would do something. A pit full of roamers would just bump into each other until they fell down and then get up and keep doing yeah, it. Yeah, until they ground off all their limbs right. on each other. Because that's what happens in a rock tumbler, right? All the rocks kind of jostle around and then they start chipping off all the corners and such. So right. Zombies would do the same thing. They keep bumping. And it's not like they would heal because no. they're dead. No. Right? So they keep bumping into each other until an arm falls off and then their jaw would fall off and they'd all grind each other into mulch. <laughs> so you want to get rid of them really slowly. <laughs> that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Uh, but because that's not really a thing in the show, I don't buy it. I just think this was a massive pit full of zombies that the audience wasn't supposed to know about until the right moment. Yeah. So okay. you couldn't hear them. So there you go. I really like to think that I would be a roamer, but uh, based on uh, the last 10 years of my life, I'm pretty sure I'd be a lurker. Yeah. <laughs> you just love sitting around. <laughs> just sit there and wait for something to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, I like that. And then get up. Yeah. Well, but it's got to be a good reason. A pretty good one, yeah. Right? Like, uh, you know, my son says, Dad, come play with me. That's not quite enough. It's, uh, Dad, you got you have to see this. Uh, and then maybe <laughs> if it's interesting enough, I'll get up. Dad, you got to see this. This better be good. I'm getting up for this. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I play with them all the time. I know. I know. All right. Well, Jay in California wrote, regarding the sex scene, Alpha has power. Alpha forces Negan to an isolated area where he thinks he's going to die. Instead, Alpha offers sex as a reward. Negan appears to willingly comply as refusing Alpha could lead to his death. Alpha sexually assaulted Negan. Even if actually willing, Negan still had little choice in the matter. Thoughts? Uh, yeah, there was definitely a power differential there and therefore a, uh, a sexually assault. Sexual assault. Sexually assault. Right. And, and I, I just, I think this was, you know, related to what you were talking about on our last show about the, uh, sex as a reward thing here, but the power differential exists too, which I don't think we really mentioned. And like Jay says, you know, Negan appeared to be willing, a willing participant in this, but when you really think about it, he had no other choice Assuming he believed his life was in danger, uh, you know, if he made any other choice, right? Because yeah. people's instinct is to survive. Yeah. And this reminds me of uh, this American Life episode not too long ago where they were talking about uh, um, uh, sexual assault and uh, different stories of sexual assault. Uh, there was, uh, you know, even if it's implied. Like even if, if the power differential is implied, like the, the example they gave, I forget the exact situation, so please forgive me, but uh, it was somebody uh, applying for a job and going in for an interview and the interview went awry and they ended up driving together. Like the interview was over, but then she was leaving, but he was also leaving and he said, do you need a ride? And she got in the car and then uh, they drove away. Uh, there was some kind of encounter and uh, just because of the power dif differential and the possibility of her thinking the job uh, was contingent on her being a willing participant in this sexual encounter mm -hmm. uh, makes it incredibly wrong. Totally. Even though everybody at the time was willing. 
Right. Yeah. It's it's completely wrong no matter what. But she was willing to get in the car and accept a ride from him and stuff like that. But that is not. <laughs> it's certain, not right. It's not right. No, definitely not yeah. right. So, yeah, you're absolutely right, Jay. This is uh, it goes beyond just uh, uh, my issue with offering sex as a reward. And it shouldn't be a reward, uh, you know, implied death threat. Uh, but then turns into a sexual encounter uh, is still way wrong. Yeah, it it really doesn't work in any circumstances, of course. Right. You know, okay, so we have to, you know, what I had said was if she had, you know, plainly said, uh, I would like to have sex with you, would you want to have sex with me? And they go off and have sex consensually. That's still wrong. What would have to happen is that back in the, uh, in the camp before she led him on a death march or what he perceived it as, as a death march, uh, she would say this has no bearing on any kind of power uh, differential behind between us, but uh, you know, I I really kind of like you, and I I think that we would work well together. Would you want to go on some kind of zombie date? And then they start, you know, going on zombie dates, right? Uh, and they, sure work zombie date they work up to they work they work up to the sex is what you're saying. Yeah, instead of being offered as a reward and tricking somebody into getting naked, which uh. is also way wrong. Of course. Right? Take off your clothes. And because she had power over him, he had to comply thinking that he was going to die. Uh, that's, that's, that's also wrong. So th this is so, this is so not right. Well, at the end of the day, it's like Jay said, Negan had little choice in the matter. He had no choice. All of his choices were taken away from him by her, uh, power over him. So how did the show think that this was okay in this, uh, current climate that we live in? of, uh, being mm -hmm. aware of these things going on in the world. It's interesting actually now that And how did they get away with it? Because I didn't fucking notice. And I think I'm pretty aware of this shit nowadays. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. I wonder if other, there's a lot of other people out there sort of feeling this way. I haven't really seen it come up too much and I'm, you know, kind of got my finger on the pulse of the walking dead. Not as much as I used to, to be fair, but, um, it, is it the typical gender reversal? It could like be. The, the, the woman having the power over a man that, uh, you know, caused us to go blind to this situation? Yeah, it could be. I mean. What does it say about us? I mean, it says bad things about the show, but it also says bad things about us. It does. I feel bad about myself now. So the show's making you feel bad about yourself. That's bad. Walking Dead. Well, they can't make me feel anything. I feel bad. It's all me that feels bad, but the show. Well, it feels like they tricked you into being okay with something that sort of wasn't. You know? Yeah. I blame everybody. Okay. Everybody, it's <laughs> your fault. <laughs> Everybody's wrong here. There's no right. There's no right here. It doesn't feel like it anymore, does it? Does yeah. it? No. We're, we're all wrong, and I'm angry. All right. Well. I'm, you know, I was giving the cave a little bit of slack. Uh, that's fine and all, all good, and I thought that the Negan part of this episode was the best part, but now I feel bad about that. So it makes the cave part seem better because there was no sexual assault in the cave. No, there was not. The cave just looked like paper mache and that's That I know of. I might've missed it now and I didn't even see it. Okay. I'm questioning everything. Oh my God. You're questioning your whole <laughs> life and perception of everything. Jeez. That's bad. Yeah. Sorry. Right. All right. What's going on here? All right. Corey in Toronto writes, am I the only one who gets utterly disgusted when considering the character's oral hygiene when they kiss in the, uh, in the walking dead? The only thing I can think about is how wretchedly disgusting their breath must be. I'm sure Alpha has some natural way to clean her teeth, 
but she lives in the woods, so how gross must her mouth be? Not to mention she was wearing a walker mask. Oh man, I have to stop. I think I just vomited in my mouth thinking about this again. (laughs) So yeah, a lot of people reacted to just the general disgustingness of the two of them, like being super dirty and Negan having recently fell into the- Yeah, wasn't he rolling around in poop? Yeah. Didn't she just go for a poop and not wash her hands or wipe her bum? What's going on? All of these things came up, yes, and here they are getting down and really dirty. So and we know that she's dirty on purpose, right? Because right? she got all cleaned up that one time when she was wearing that disguise, and then like 14 seconds later, she was uh, a disgustoid again. So she does this on purpose. Yep. That's so... <sighs> Yeah, I need nope. showers. A I l- need a shower. Just thinking about it, a lot of people brought this up and how just disgusting it was. And many people were like, you know what? I can't unsee that and I want to unsee it. But they can't. So I think I want to unsee this whole episode. Well, I mean, they, do you think, I don't know. Do you think the show's intention was to gross us out at the sort of nastiness of it all? Or... Or were they more going for the sort of emotional or relationship impact this has between Negan and Alpha, you know? Or were they just trying to gross us out? I don't know. Or both, maybe. It's hard to say. Well, maybe maybe Alpha was trying to make her sexual assault on Negan, Negan as gross as possible in order to uh, really grind him down. Maybe. <laughs> and he didn't know. catch on because... Because he's, he's horny, he's, I guess. Yeah, he's Negan, and he's it's been a while. <laughs> Doesn't even yeah, say that. It's been that. a while since he's had slave wives. Oh yeah, geez, I forgot all about that. Well, it's been years. It's been six years, seven yeah, years. Yeah, six years since he's had a you know a good slave wife. Yeah, well, that's not good either. So there's nothing good. Anyhow, it's all it, bad. It was gross, and people were grossed out by it, and I kind of agree with them. And of course, just to bring it all around here, I think we got a couple more about this. Stacy on Facebook writes, um, no matter how long it's been, I'd risk masturbating in a patch of poison ivy over doing it with someone who wears dead skin. And, 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 you know, I, I thought long and hard about including that one because it also brings up some pretty, uh, uncomfortable potential rashes, but, uh, you know what? Good point. It's a, uh, it's a very compelling, would you rather? <laughs> um, yes. I think, I think it's a matter of personal preference. I think it you know, might be. Do I, do I, you know, I'm pretty horny. Do I want to have sex? Uh, even though I've been rolling around in poop and she, uh, is probably rolling around in her own feces. And wearing dead she skin. She likes it. And wearing dead skin. Don't yeah. forget the dead person that she's wearing, like Hannibal Lecter. Yep. Uh, you know, or masturbate in Poison ivy. Jump into a poison ivy patch and go to town. I, okay, so there's a, okay, so masturbating in a patch of poison ivy. Don't okay, Google so that. that's different than, no, I'm not going to Google it. I'm trying to decide whether or not uh, uh, she had mentioned, I guess Stacy could could be a man. We don't know. Um, Stacy Keach, for example. Yes. I, okay, so sure. uh, Stacy says uh, masturbating in a patch of poison ivy, not masturbating with poison ivy. Correct. Because if you're using poison ivy as lubricant, uh, <laughs> you're doing you it got wrong. Some problem. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stacy says I'd risk masturbating in a patch of poison ivy. So it is just okay, a risk. Yeah, lying down in a patch of poison ivy and uh, you know fondling yourself for a while. You know you can do that fully clothed, right? 
I guess. So, but it's not like you would take all your clothes off to, to masturbate and poison. I, mean, I don't know what you're into. And whatever, I mean, what, whatever I you're into, it's, it's We might cool. be thinking about this too much. I think we might be talking about it too much. Okay, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> Next, we have a call from Jen- Jennifer in Glasgow, UK. Eee, did you see Alpha sending a fax to Cleveland? Blech. Oh my gosh, she's such a clapbag. Yuck. Oh my God, that's one of my favorite calls of all time. So, Jason. Okay, sending, you're going to have to parse that for me because I only caught about 60% of it. Sending a fax to Cleveland. That is something I looked up. And according to the Urban Dictionary, sending a fax to Cleveland is a euphemism for taking a shit, often used in a business or formal setting to explain a prolonged bathroom break while maintaining a professional appearance. For example, used in a sentence. Sorry I'm late for the meeting, but I had to send a fax to Cleveland and it was several pages long. I see. Okay. <laughs> that might be tough to to, uh, to do nowadays. People don't use fax machines anymore. No, that's true. <laughs> so if you're sending a fax to Cleveland, uh, I personally would follow up with some questions, which I probably shouldn't do. Uh, no, you won't if shouldn't. I hear it from now on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyways, I thought that was funny. And uh, thank you, Jennifer, for that. It was just delightful. It <laughs> and was delightful. It introduced me to a new phrase. So there you go. <laughs> Which, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. <laughs> totally. Um, what do we got now? Troy on Facebook uh, said they called it squeeze because Alpha was squatting there, squeezing out some poopy. Oh, well, there you go. Can't, Full credits. Can't believe I just had to read that. <laughs> oh yeah, poo poo and poopy. Yeah, there you go. You. I have a three-year-old boy. I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not uh, unfamiliar with saying poo poo a lot. Talking about bodily functions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, talking about bodily functions, and Jasper really likes to use uh, scatological references in his songs and sayings. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, you got to record him doing saying and singing some some of these things. You will, you will not regret it later in life when you can play them at his wedding. No, we have them. We bought him a ukulele a couple of weeks ago. Do you, I don't know if you remember me telling you that. We went to Long McQuaid and we bought a ukulele uh-huh. and uh, we left it on a stand. It's his, so he can pick it up and play it anytime he wants. And he does. And he picks it up and he plays it and he sings. He doesn't actually, you know, he just strums the, 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 of course. the strings and then sings a little song about whatever's in his little head. And, uh, we've got some recording recordings of it. So it's, uh, and they are quite entertaining and, uh, somewhat scatological in nature. <laughs> as a lot of, as these things are with a lot of kids, it's what they think about. It's very important when you're learning how to use the toilet and so on. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that's good. All right. Lastly, we have a call from Che. Hi, Jason and Chris. This is Che from central Massachusetts. I've been listening to uh, your show from pretty much the beginning. It's been a long time since I called in. I really enjoyed this uh, season half opener. Um, The claustrophobia of the caves got to me. Um, And the characters, it's just so different from Fear the Walking Dead, in which the characters seem to do whatever they need to do for a given episode. These characters seem true to themselves and seem like they are growing and having arcs, and I'm really enjoying that. Um, One thing that I wanted to point out before the character comes back, and I've been waiting and waiting for somebody else to say this, but I haven't heard anybody say it yet. Virgil, the character that Michonne met at Oceanside in the season half finale. Um, Well, Virgil, I mean, that's the name of a Roman poet. He's the guy who wrote the Aeneid. But also Virgil was made into a fictional character 
who led the protagonist through the horrors of the underworld in the Inferno. And the Inferno, of course, was written by, and the main character is based on, Dante. That's not a name that we've never heard before in The Walking Dead. Just saying. I'm wondering if there's any connection there. Probably not, but hey, who knows? Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you so much, Jay. I agree. Probably not, but it's a really interesting little nugget that you've picked up on there. Uh, yeah. Dante and Virgil and so on. Um, and I wanted to play that email or that call primarily because it was positive. It was, you know, very positive on the episode. And I do like to find the good amongst um, episodes or in episodes that we don't, we don't necessarily think are that great. So I wanted to finish on a high note and, you know, go out with something, something good. Yeah. It's uh, it's very good to, uh, to have a positive spin at the end. And if you want a good read, you know, if I can recommend a book at the end of this based on, uh, uh, talking about the divine comedy and Dante's Inferno, uh-huh. uh, there is a novel called Inferno by, uh, Larry Niven and, uh, Jerry Pornell called Inferno, and it is based on the same hell that, uh, that Dante described in the Divine Comedy, mm-hmm. and it is, it is a very good novel. I remember reading this back, uh, this is like, you know, 1970s sci-fi, which I had a very big uh, liking for back in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, so pick up, uh, pick up your local copy of Inferno by Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell if you want to read about... Uh, you know, Dante's Inferno without actually having to read Dante's Inferno. Cool. It's a good, uh, good recommendation. Yeah. I might read that again. That's really good. I'm glad you reminded me of that. All right. Well, there you go. Thank you. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any Virgil in it though. Well, maybe not, but read it again. Find out. Yeah. Thank you, Che, for that call. And thank you to everyone for calling and writing in about this week's episode of The Walking Dead. Before we end here, uh, I just want to remind everyone that you can, in fact, support the podcast in a couple of different ways if you would like to. One is by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the talking dead, where you can make a small monthly pledge. Um, but if that's not your cup of tea, then you can also just visit our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal, and that will redirect you right to PayPal where you can, uh, just make a one-time donation and all the funds we collect go into the cost of, of putting on the show, hosting the audio, keeping the website, all that kind of stuff. So, um, we appreciate every, every little bit we get from everyone, but you know what? We appreciate everyone who listens as well. And if you don't want to do that, feel free to go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, a star rating. Um, That helps a lot too, especially now when The Walking Dead is back on the air and people are thinking about it and watching it. They're looking for it. So it's a great time to have us float to the top a little bit by, um, by leaving reviews, star ratings. So thank you to everyone for, for doing all that. Anyways, other than that, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can visit that website, talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top to leave us a message there. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead, where I've been taking more comments from uh, a little bit more than I used to anyways for these feedback shows. So 
when I post episodes on Facebook or, you know, every Sunday night when I post a, Hey, what did you think of this episode? And people start writing. I've been going through those a little bit more and pulling some comments. So that's a good way to get in touch. Um, or you can of course just send email to talking at gmail.com. Other than that, uh, I think that is it for this episode. So we'll be back next week on Tuesday night after the next episode of The Walking Dead, which of course is on Sunday. And hopefully, well, we're out of the cave mostly now, so there won't be too much more cave stuff unless they do a whole Connie and Magna episode of just them in the cave. Oh, can you imagine bottle episode, next episode of them just being in the cave and we get nothing else? I, I, you know what? I'm not totally against that idea, but I don't want it next week. Right? Oh, I'm totally against it uh, in general. This, and I'm so very totally against it for next week. Well, uh, for next week, for sure. But the story of them escaping, you know, that could be okay. So I'm not going to say I'm totally against it. I just don't want it next week. What I want next week, or sometime soon, is to find out what's up with Michonne and uh, her on the boat with Virgil and where she's going to get these weapons that apparently he has. But we'll have to wait and see what's coming up. Yeah. Okay. So next week, let's hope that it has uh, less cave and zero sexual assault. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.